Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard. One, two, three, four! People do feel very radically different about gender experience. I mean, that's just like the rules of feminism. That diversity is like the number one thing I think that has to be reckoned with. Agenda with women in the arts. Good morning. You're listening to the first agenda on FBA Radio for 2018, your Saturday morning fix of art, politics, news, and trash from a feminist perspective. I'm Isabel Hawthorburn. And I'm Katie Winton. And we've had a pretty big break. We've been off air for a few weeks. A lot of things have happened while we weren't with you of a Saturday morning regularly. American fantasy and science fiction novelist Ursula Le Guin passed away in sad news, as well as Dolores O'Riordan, who was the lead singer of The Cranberries. Uh, A lot's happened with Aziz Ansari, which we'll get into a little bit later, and the Me Too movement. Uh, Oprah nearly became the US president, and there's been a boom in political accessories in the form of the Time's Up pin on the red carpet at the Golden Globes. Yeah, lots of Hollywood yeah, Hollywood scandals. <laughs> accessorizing with Time's Up pins. Yeah. Um, and I think Bridget Bardot and Jermaine Greer need another little time out from feminism. They've been saying some wacky stuff um, regarding the Me Too movement. Uh, people are also worried that a sex panic, about a sex panic now, um, now that you can't give your colleagues a little tap on the bum. Casey Affleck withdrew from the Oscars and won't be presenting the Best Actress Award because someone actually thought that he should be presenting the Best I Actress know. Award. Which is so loony. Yeah. Um, we, you might remember last year, was it last year or the year before, um, he was accused of sexually abusive conduct um, on the set of the 2010 movie I'm Still Here, which he directed. Um, and in more beauty pageant drama news... Um, <laughs> which is dozens, my favourite news. Which is also like weirdly every becoming week. <laughs> a segment of this show. Um, dozens of camels were disqualified from a Saudi Arabian beauty pageant over Botox injections. <laughs> so... I don't really know if that's from this news, but I thought it was really funny. <laughs> um, I, it makes me a little bit concerned about the camel's yeah. health, though. Who's yeah. been giving them Botox injections? Don't know. Don't we'll know. post a link. <laughs> um, in amongst all of that relentless news from the end of 2017 and the start of 2018, I think my highlight of last year, and actually my highlight of every year, was the end-of-year agenda playlist that we released um, after our last show of 2017, which was just before Christmas. It came out on December 22nd. Yeah, and so it's the second annual one that we've released. Our first playlist at the end of 2016 kind of focused on self-care. And we asked everyone we'd interviewed on the show in 2016 to give us their personal self-care tips along with a song that made them feel better. Because it was like, it was the start of a very rocky time. Um, And the most recent one for 2017 was similar. um, But I think we kind of narrowed in a little bit um, within that kind of remit of self-care. Yeah, so for this this most recent iteration of the playlist, we asked all of our agenda contributors and collaborators from the last year to give us one tip on how they deal with creative burnout, because I think we both hit a pretty uh, big creative burnout wall towards Mm. the end of last year. Um, And they also all gave us a song that makes them feel better. So it ended up being a really amazing list of tips on how to manage burnout, plus some really incredible songs. And I also just love how diverse the songs are, like in terms of genre, pace, mood, like it's, and I also find it like really interesting 
interesting to align the songs that make people feel better with their personalities. Um, so, like, you went with Lonely Girls by Lucinda Williams, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which was, like, a really introspective country song. And then I went with Lose My Cool, which is, like, an up-tempo R&B track. And I think just those two songs alone are so indicative of, of mm. our personalities when we deal with creative burnout. Mm. And I think it was really – it's one of my favourite things to kind of look at the songs that people recommend and imagine them listening to it to make them feel better. Yeah. I love that part of it. And we had contributors like Miss Blanks and Hannah Bronte, Rainbow Chan, Lapai, Akenyo, and heaps more incredible people. And we're going to go through some of the tips on dealing with creative burnout throughout the show today. And we're also going to be playing a few songs from the playlist. It's called Feel Your Feelings. If you haven't <laughs> checked it out yet, head to fbiradio.com and click on Feel Your Feelings, a holiday playlist by Women in Arts. It's very good and it'll make you feel uh, It's just my favourite thing. <laughs> um, so coming up on the show today as well, we're going to be discussing the films that we watched and the books that we read and the music that we listened to over our break, which we what we hated, what we loved, and why. And on our Thoughts at Couch segment, we're asking you, language warning, uh, how do you fuck like a feminist? Yeah, we don't know how to bleep things out. So <laughs> I was thinking maybe it should be how to make love like a feminist. doesn't have the same ring to it, though. <laughs> well, um, I think it kind of eradicates the, yeah, the yeah, question exactly. if it's yeah. how to make love maybe. like a feminist. Um, but I think it's, it's a kind of confusing time for some people. We want to uh, know what you've been thinking about this. How does one fuck like a feminist <laughs> or make, make love? love. Um, yeah, I don't know which one. Uh, <laughs> stick with the original. How does one? Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, but let us know. 0409 945 945. We certainly don't know what we're talking about. So we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, I've got a few wayward thoughts, but I think we'll leave that for later in the show. <laughs> Coming up in about 15 minutes. Oh, yeah, yeah, 15 minutes. Um, we'll be chatting with Matt Cornell about the Blokes Project. Um, a dance work investigating the embodied myths, truths and stereotypes of Australian masculinity. And that we've been like very excited to talk to him for quite a while now about this project. We're very interested in Australian masculinity. So yeah. it would be really exciting to hear his thoughts and hear about this project, which is... Yeah, a choreographic dance work. Mm. Um, so definitely stick around for that conversation, especially because I think it will tie in quite strongly to our thoughts that count segment on the recent Me Too backlash. Um, and just before we mentioned the when we were talking about the Feel Your Feelings playlist, um, I think we should kick off 2018 with a tip from Ali Murphy-Oates. What are your thoughts? I think so. She's very well qualified. So Ali uh, Murphy-Oates is the Managing Director of um, Mugglin Performing Arts Board member at Black Dance Australia, board member Theatre Network New South Wales, steering committee member of the Blackfella Performing Arts Alliance, co-founder of Why Are You Winking At Me? So <laughs> she knows what she's Thanks talking about. Thanks for your <laughs> incredibly amazing bio, Ali. But it's actually the advice is from her dad? Yeah, the advice is from her dad. On her, Well, I think advice that she kind of comes back to every time she's in a, a bit of a rut or a creative burnout. She kind of like checks in and remembers what he used to say to her. Um, and still does say to her, apparently. So I'm just going to get to it. So mm -hmm. she said, my dad has always been a wonderful source of blunt guidance and advice and a living example of, to me of how people can be good and flawed and constantly learning in the absolute best of ways. Here are some gems from old mate Johnny Oates, a.k.a. Bush dad that got me through life. Um, so it says, question, what are the rules? Answer, look out for your mates. Don't drink from anyone else's drink. Don't take any pills or powders. And if you have sex, use a condom. And then in brackets, it says, I had to recite these whenever I went out with my friends from the age of 13 onwards. Still do sometimes. Um, number two from her dad says, go stand under a tree. Have you stood under a tree at all today? And number three, just remember, at the end of the day, my darling, they can all go get fucked. Words to live by. Oh, such think. a good, good <laughs> amount of tips. Thanks so much, Ali. And we're going to play Ali's recommended track. It's by the Electric Fields. It's called Nina. You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. 
amazing i feel like i can do anything now that song is so good so uplifting so uplifting um our favorite podcast call your girlfriend um it's me and your favorite yeah podcast, i think it's I our think. collective favorite podcast. i know and i think every time i talk to you i'm like i feel like they're my friends <laughs> well, sometimes i tell you something that i've heard on the podcast as if i've thought of it yeah. and then i realize you've listened to it too and yeah, you're like in many ways yeah <laughs> um but one of the really lovely things that they do every year um that is Anne friedman and amina Tuso, um is that they discuss their favourite movies and music and books from the year. Um, so we thought we'd just rip off that idea completely. Directly, yeah. yeah. We thought it'd be fun to <laughs> rip them off. So maybe start with music? Yeah. I, yeah. I went to see Patagonian feminist folk rap three-piece Femina at the Spiegel Tent uh, for Sydney Festival the other day. Mm. Ah, and their performance was incredible. Like they alternated between spoken words, singing, dancing, yelling. Um, and they just had like such a commanding energy on stage. I watched them for an hour singing in Spanish and they would kind of say what the song was about at the start of the song and then sing it. And the audience would, I mean, most of the audience probably had no idea what they were saying, but just from their delivery and their presence, you could understand what they meant, Mm. you know, like they would kind of give a one liner about like, you know, this song is about someone I once loved. And then they'd sing it with like such fierce energy that you kind of totally understood what they were saying, even though you didn't linguistically understand. It was amazing. I think I was talking to someone like a kind of music person and he was like, oh, I don't listen to the words at all. I'm like, how can you not listen to the words? Like, that's what the whole song is about. But I think that's also a gendered thing though, right? Like, I don't know. Because do you remember that book that we were both reading at the same time that was um, uh, Vivian Appletine's bio? And she has that part in it where she's talking about how traditionally it's like a masculine role to understand musically how a song is structured and it's like a yeah anyway interesting gendered thing to listen to lyrics I i do agree that um i always thought that you were listening to the words, but then sometimes when it's not in English or in a language that you speak, you're like, oh, I fully understand. I totally understand it. What yeah. part of the breakup you're at yeah. right now? <laughs> yeah, <or> like, totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Anyway, so that was amazing, and I can't stop listening to them now. But I also went to see SZA at the Enmore Theatre a few weeks back, which was so good. She's just uh, such a tiny, amazing. She is angel. So much energy. Yeah, I saw her at FOMO. Probably not for as long, but it was so lovely. She's got such a great voice. Yeah. it's. Um, I think both of those two people that I just talked about, like mm. um, Femina and Sizzup, actually sounded better live. Mm. You know, like, mm. that. yeah, it was amazing. Oh, so good. Um, and you're having a bit of a share. Oh, yeah, I'm having a bit of a share <laughs> renaissance since Mardi Gras announced that she's playing. I missed out on tickets. Um, I mean, I, they're really expensive. I mean, they're expensive. But imagine being in the room when she played Believe. Like, I just, yeah. I can't. 
I feel like you've got get some that good out of my share head. outfits tucked away in your closet, ready for definitely such not even tucked away, just waiting, <laughs> waiting to waiting to go and see share. Um, and I've also been listening to a Sovereign Tracks Invasion Day mix, which is featuring Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artists and global First Nations artists. That is also an amazing mix. Um, Sov Tracks is a collective based in Melbourne, um, and you can stream it on SoundCloud. So we'll pop a link up to our agenda show page. Yeah, it sounds like a really solid. That's great. Um, I had one of those nice experiences where I went to see Dylan the other night at Carriageworks and another kind of Beijing-based producer was on first and I wasn't expecting it. And it always happens to me at Carriageworks where I walk into the wrong bay or room <laughs> and I was like, oh, it happened again. And then I was like, oh, whatever. It's like pretty good. I'll just like stay here anyway. And it was really, really fun. But it was that nice thing of not be, not expecting it or yeah. like, you know, listening to something so much before you go and see the person. I was just like... Oh, wow. It's like a really, pleasant really surprise. Cool. Yeah, exactly. I, I had that exact experience when I went to see um, Ars play at the Marigville Bowls Club and mm. Gas was on first, who is mm. Dale Lamanta's like solo project. Um, and Gas was, yeah, at Marigville Bolo and it was like this kind of atmospheric techno and on super early and like definitely the best set of the entire night. It yeah, just like right. made me feel like I was floating through space. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I was also like very hungover and yeah, it was right. kind of the perfect ambient. Like, yeah. Oh, what about so books? Good. What have you what have you been reading? Well, I usually like save this holiday or this kind of break for my like really tear jerk, big tomey books <laughs> and like a little life or something like that where I'm just like, yeah, I need to like decompress from it for a few days afterwards as well. Um, but this year I was like, nope, I'm just going to read grammar books. So I, <laughs> I picked up this really good one and it actually looks super crappy. It's got like emojis all over the cover and it's called A World Without Whom. I think it's called A World Without Whom. And it's like, it's about using grammar and language in the, this, the age that we live in. And it's super interesting. Um, but there was like one chapter on it that was about, you know, sensitivity and language and how to like not sound like an asshole. You know what I mean? Like yeah. The importance of gendering people correctly and just like language in general. Uh, and I was like, oh, I don't need to read this because, like, I have a show on it. Yeah, <laughs> I understand all about everything. <laughs> and, you know, um, and obviously I do, and I do need to read those things. And I need to constantly be learning and, you know, updating myself and making sure that I use, like, correct or appropriate language. And so there's really interesting things that kind of apply to this Me Too movement and the kind of huge amount of, um, reporting on sexual violence and assault and harassment and just the idea of like not constantly calling the person the victim you can call her like the woman or the man or the person do you right know what i mean like it just and or, or always saying alleged perpetrator um i mean i, I probably i can put a link up to it as well because it's like better to read it yeah it's really really interesting even things like saying putting someone up for adoption rather than um giving them up for adoption is like destigmatizing that process as well and putting yeah yeah and so giving them up rather than no putting them up rather than giving them up and a lot of things to do with like not using euphemistic language about illness i thought was really really interesting and it's made me think it's made me read a lot closer the ways like even new york times is like reports so poorly the language yeah. they use about sexual harassment is like so bad when you actually and yeah, I think it's just important to think about the language that we use because it's. I think it's it one of those the way that you understand. Definitely, the story. yeah, and I think it's one of those things that once you start noticing mm. the way that uh, language plays a big part in that reporting, oh, totally. you can't unsee it. Yeah, 
And like, I think a lot of people have been reading that Babe article about Aziz Ansari, and that is just like so poorly reported. However you feel about the story, it's just like they did such a disservice, I think, to both of those parties, like Aziz Ansari and the woman. I think she's like called Grace in this book, in the in article. The article but it's just yeah. like, man, that is not how you write that kind of a story. Yeah. Like, it's really, really not very nice. Uh, more about that later in our Thoughts That Count segment. Um, I know I'm a bit slow on the uptake, but I finally finished Bad Feminist by Roxane Gay. It's taken yeah. me like a good few years to get through. Um, and now I'm onto a book by Bell Hooks called The Will to Change, Men, Masculinity and Love, which is also an old one. It was first published in 2005. And to be honest, it like feels a little bit romanticized and the kind of... Really? Yeah, I don't know. I, I just feel like Bell Hooks isn't like an overly romantic person. Yeah, no, yeah. me neither. But like, listen to this claim. Men can access their feelings by giving themselves permission to be vulnerable. As they grow more comfortable and start believing that it's okay to feel, to need and to desire, they will thrive as equal partners in their intimate relationships. Whether they are straight or gay, black or white, the will to change helps men to reclaim the best part of themselves. Hmm. Like, don't you think that sounds, like, slightly romanticized? Yeah, I think it's also up to, like, mothers and oh, totally. fathers to, or parents to give them that. Do you know what yeah. I mean? You well, can't just become, like, a 30-year-old guy and you're like, I'm going to give myself permission to be vulnerable Exactly, now. that's what I mean. Like, I feel it's like, like when society is kind of constantly telling that you that you can't, you can't just wake up and be like, all right. Yeah, well, this is what I I know. I feel like, and she does go into a lot of like nuanced kind of parts of how that does start actually as a like very early childhood memories and moments in realisation in regards to gender roles um, and how it's kind of everyone's responsibility to work harder to push against like those restrictions of gender roles. But yeah, there are definitely parts of it where I'm kind of like, uh, I think this is a a bigger society. I I guess, yeah, she's talking about it in relation to love and personal relationships, which can be quite limiting. Sometimes yeah. I find. I mean, I'm not going to do any more parenting advice, but just like <laughs> the way that parents and like adults talk to little boys is so sad. Like the kind of Izzy would know because she only watches The Secret Life of Four Year Olds on YouTube, <laughs> <laughs> and I just watched The Florida Project, which is just like an art version of The Secret Life yeah. of Four Year Olds, basically. So anyway, I think it's like very sad, but there's so much potential for you know little children to. <laughs> express well, themselves I think like that is the that's the start of uh restricting gender roles right yeah yeah but no definitely um movies though oh movies girls yeah. trip I did them all I did girls trip last night and Tiffany Haddish is so funny and she has the best lines and I didn't really know about her as a comedian up until like about six months ago but she also does a drunk history about this curator from Paris during like World War Two. she's so funny I'm like very happy that I've found her and also girls trip <laughs> is just like so lovely and I cried in it which is so embarrassing because it's like a very very corny movie um but I also there's a lot of movies that came out this for like Oscar season I guess with um leading women so um the three billboards outside Ebbing Missouri oh uh, yeah it's like pretty good Ladybird was not as good as I thought it would you've be you've seen it yeah. <gasps> yeah how oh I don't know oh, <laughs> damn it I keep on nothing I Damn it. I went to America and I saw it. Um, oh, I've got to stop telling people I've seen it. Um, uh, one that I also saw was The Florida Project a couple of days ago. And that is so beautiful. It's really, I'd definitely, 
heartily recommend it. It's really, really good. Um, and I haven't seen The Shape of Water yet, mainly because no one wants to see it with me, oh. but I'm like all about the monster love story. Oh my God, I was totally not into it. Yeah. I saw it I the other night. I was surprised you went and saw it. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I primarily saw it because I thought it would be an interesting... Well, also because I think I saw Penn's Labyrinth as a teenager and mm. I haven't actually revisited that in a long time. So I kind of had that memory maybe nostalgic memory and thought yeah. like same director maybe it's okay mm. saw it and it's just like this weirdly tonal kind of like weirdly toned sorry um kind of sexy emily where <laughs> like yes yes no Love it's it. terrible <laughs> <laughs> it's like and and i think the just the main problem of it for me was the rhetoric around how uh the main character is this mute woman who can't so she can't speak Mm. um and she does this whole monologue where she's uh communicating about how no one will love her and she's different and she's kind of an outsider and this like fish guy falls in love with her and that's the main kind of narrative and he takes her from her best friend who is also this like older man who is a gay man who like no one loves him either it just feels very um Mm. otherizing in the in the like moral of the story like I can imagine Mm. if I had a child sending them I mean I probably wouldn't send them to see that anyway but (laughs) it just the moral of the story for me was like she's mute, no one's going to love her, she's falling in love with a fish, like, that's the, they're yeah. both the weirdos in that, I don't know, I just, it felt like a very, um, what's the word? I don't know, it just, it didn't mm. feel like very strong messaging to me. I heard this theory that, like, the, because I think there's been a couple of movies in the last few years that is this kind of sexy sea monster man comes yeah. and, like, helps woman discover herself and it's, like, kind of the manic pixie dream girl but for ladies and the manic trip pixie dream girl is a sea monster who comes and like sucks <laughs> with her and teaches her but you're saying that doesn't really she she's not he, he, the sea monster isn't like a plot device no she becomes like yeah i feel like yeah nothing seems like a very strong plot device to me yeah, it right. just it, yeah i just it i, I wasn't I wasn't about it. You uh, know what I we, was about call me by your name we are all about it <laughs> everyone is about it um it was so good it was nominated for seven Oscars, which I think was kind of a surprise, even though it's like not universally loved, but like most people I've spoken to think it's incredible. Yeah. Um, but what did it get? Best Actor, Best Director. It's been nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Actor, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor, Best Original Song, Best Editing and Best Picture. So yeah. all the good ones. And the soundtrack is amazing. I know a lot of people have been having, having it on high rotation this summer. And even when I was walking home from the station, I could hear people in their apartments like Aww. listening to it and I was like well this is such a nice time to be alive um <laughs> <Is> I, <it? laughs> someone yeah and uh, someone said that call me by your name is if they made a movie out of a Sufjan Stevens song and then Sufjan Stevens wrote all the music for the movie <laughs> which I think is very funny <laughs> but I think it um ignores the hectic Italo disco numbers that are in there that I think is so so good oh. um and the beautiful love my way by the psychedelic furs which, Which I have to cut sometimes skip because it's like too beautiful and like. But you listen to the Sophian Stevens I can, ones. <laughs> oh, I can totally listen to it, but like that "Love My Way" one, I'm like, oh, I have so many feelings. It's such a beautiful scene where Timothee, who plays Emilio, is like pining after Archie Hammer's uh, Hammer's older character, and Archie Hammer's like dancing in this outdoor Italian club, and I think it's I think it's so emotional because there's so much longing in Emilio's gaze, mm. and Archie like Hammer frustration, but like totally, really sweet and kind that of. kind of frustration that you feel when you're watching someone just dance without any inhibitions. Mm. 
mm. and you want to be that person, but mm. you also kind of love that. Like, mm. so much is communicated in his gaze, and I think um, Archie Hammer, who's, who plays Oliver, is dancing with just so much joy, and he loves the song so much, and it just brings me so much happiness to watch uh, it. I don't think. Boogie. Oh, I love a boogie. I uh. think, especially in the context of a dance floor holding like so much importance for queer communities as well. Like to me, I read that into it too, mm. and like it's just such a yeah, it's such a beautiful scene where there's so much uh, like release and kind of um there's so much feeling communicated in the way that he's dancing it just made me want to dance as well I was mm. sitting there and was like I want to go to a club <laughs> I want to go to an yeah. outdoor Italian club <laughs> it's funny like it is there are uh, sad parts but I think on the whole it's such a joyful film and it's about so much like respect and care and empathy between the two people and then I just think it's a bit weird that the, the criticism is <gasps> like oh there's an age gap it's like oh my god there's so much like kindness between them totally and, it's and just, like a bit, yeah Shut up. Yeah, and so much uh, consensual and like non-manipulative understanding. Affirmative consent. Affirmative consent. Totally. No, absolutely. And even Emilio's parents are not only understanding but like encouraging of their Mm. relationship. Like they send them on a holiday. They're, you Mm. know, so supportive. And it just, yeah, I think the criticism is really far off the mark. Mm. Yeah, so maybe we should play the Psychedelic Furs track. Oh, absolutely. Um, It's from this really beautiful scene in Call Me By Your Name, which you should all see. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio.
You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. It's now time for our Thoughts That Count segment. <laughs> We're, uh, we want to know what you think about what's been happening recently. Thoughts That Count. Agenda on FBI Radio. Yeah. <laughs> Here we are. Uh, so as we mentioned earlier in the show, a few days ago, Canadian-American comedian and political commentator Samantha Bee addressed the Me Too backlash on her TV show Full Frontal, um, which was in response to the article published about a date with Aziz Ansari um, that the writer called by far the, mo- by far the worst experience with a man I've ever had. So after um, she'd addressed the backlash, Bee ended the segment with the statement, if you say you're a feminist, then fuck like a feminist. <laughs> Language warning. <laughs> um, and if you don't want to do that... Take off your time's up pin because we're not your accessories. So it's a. I, I think we should just play mm. a part of her uh, segment because it's really good. People like me had to wade through a sea of prehensile dicks to build the world Language we warning. now enjoy. And part of enjoying that world is setting a higher standard for sex than just not rape. And women get to talk about it if men don't live up to those standards, especially if that man wrote a book about how to sex good. And if that seems harsh, I'm sorry. In fact, you know what? I'm sorry for a lot of things. I'm sorry that anyone ever thought the contents of that list or any of the other ways we protect ourselves from men were your goddamn business. I'm sorry you thought you got to choose what experiences we can share or how we react to the shitty ways we've been treated. And to men specifically, I'm sorry our request to be respected makes office culture a little less fun and flirty. And I'm sorry we tattled about that stuff you did on us, even when it was totally not rape. But listen, if you don't want to tune into your partner's feelings throughout sex, maybe you shouldn't be fucking a person at all. May I suggest a coin purse or a Ziploc bag full of grape jelly? Men, if you say you're a feminist, then fuck like a feminist. And if you don't want to do that, take off your fucking pin because we are not your accessories. We'll be right back. Woo, that is... A lot of of language warnings on that, sorry. A lot of, like, very good wisdom, I think. And that idea of kind of tuning in with your partner is very good and not something that you're ever really told. Yeah, well, that was kind of leading us into this segment, which is how does one... Make love like a feminist. <laughs> um, um, I definitely don't know the answer. Wait, yeah. I don't think Do you know the answer? No, I went to Catholic school. <laughs> I've got no idea what I'm talking about, which is why I kind of usually defer to very good podcasts and books and stuff like that. Um, I think you have a good Oh, answer. yeah, no, the, like, I think the first thing that came to mind for me was an article by Vice Writer, which is not the most reliable source of uh, journalism. But um, it's called I'm a Feminist Who Loves Rough, Rough Sex, which, like, I don't know, is pretty self-explanatory like you get it from the headline um but it got me wondering about like the submissive kind of role during heterosexual sex specifically and kind of reconciling that with like feminist values Mm, because i guess there is that idea as well as like oh you don't have sex oh yeah totally there's i mean there's so much writing and um so many podcasts that have been released surrounding that like bdsm Mm, um, information good one um called Why Are People Into That by with Tina Horn and it kind of explores sex, kink, gender and love. Um, and I think it's just really intelligently broken down. She interviews lots of different people and kind of gets into more kinky stuff and what you might think, what we might understand is like fetish. Yeah, right. 
things and like stuff that you've never heard of before for yeah me, it was like some stuff I was like whoa cool <laughs> did not know fire was yeah. a thing yeah yeah right <laughs> um but I think the messaging that we get as young people is that sex is very intuitive and like when you know you know and you'll just be able to intuit um how to do things and when to do them and what your partner wants um but I think that like when you get older you learn that Oh, I hopefully you learned that like one of the most liberating things you can do is like have a really frank conversation and mm. like, learn to talk about your needs or your partner's boundaries and things like that I think is really exciting and just like not something that explained to you but what's ex- what was explained to me is like don't have sex which yeah I think I think there is and, and here's a video of a baby coming out of a yeah vagina right it's like meant to scare you yeah I think something. I had this I think I've blocked out all of my uh, high school education. So that's why we're such a fan of sexual. I don't, I don't really know. Don't that's why know I have no idea. <laughs> I think though the Aziz Ansari story definitely exposed a lot of commu- confusion about consent, and especially mm. in relation to nonverbal cues. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and again, it's like one of those things that from such a, a young age, um, we there's just such a dic- like a communication disconnect, and so people might be giving what they feel are really clear nonverbal signals, and the other person might be looking for or listening for verbal signals mm. of like consent or not. And so I think that when the power dynamic is uneven as well, which is like often the case, then that kind of dynamic is further exacerbated, like that kind of potential for a really unpleasant experience. Um, and that, I'm not saying that you can't have sex with someone who holds more professional or social or financial power, but it's like a consideration that you need to think that maybe this person doesn't feel comfortable saying no or can't fully, you know, you're... I think it's just communication. Yeah, right? exactly. It just comes down to communicating. Communicating and like, yeah, and even if you're them yeah. the consent or like really listening for like, yes, I want to do that. And mm. asking people what they want as well, not just thinking that's, that I think that's them the... being coquettish or something means that they like... Yeah, well, I think that's the key point out of this, right? Is mm. that yes doesn't always necessarily mean yes. Like it's yeah. a deeper conversation than that. Mm. Um yeah, I don't know. I think right now some people are also concerned that we're never going to have sex again because it's just too fraught with risk, which is Oh, my God. If that's very... you think you're doing it so wrong yeah. already and maybe you shouldn't for a little bit, maybe you should, as Matt B said, get a Ziploc of <laughs> grape jelly or whatever it was. Oh. But I do think oh. that like once the dust settles, I really think that people are going to have even better sex. And I... Okay, I keep saying I'm not going to give parenting advice. I'm totally giving parenting <laughs> advice again. Um, but I just think like the parents of children of all genders should be like talking about consent and pleasure, and not, I mean not too much because that would be that. really <laughs> awkward. But um, but just how important kindness and empathy are in those kind of situations about sex and sexuality, and like that it's really complicated. And telling girls not to have sex and giving boys like an assembly on rape isn't going to like do very much for their sex lives and their enjoyment of their even their romantic lives I think, yeah. So, yeah I think it's just a, a more nuanced conversation that needs to happen yeah more regularly mm. and maybe What's amongst it? friends as well like I think mm. it, it, it is something that needs to kind of be is hard to speak about because there is that rhetoric around talking about it as a bragging kind of mm. thing but I think if you can have conversations about what other people think oh my god I just want to be on a fly in the wall for the kind of <laughs> sex conversations that like 14 15 year old girls oh. have and it's like so what you do is and I'm like oh my god are you sure I'm like yeah totally sure <laughs> um you're listening to a gender on FBI radio we've been talking about how to 
language warning, fuck like a feminist, oh my God. Um, according to Samantha Bee, um, <laughs> who is an American comedian. But uh, we're going to take a track from Sydney artist Exhibitionist now. This one came out a few days ago. It's called Being a Woman, which is very fitting for what we have been talking about on the show today. And just after this track, we're going to talk to Matt Cornell, who is a co-creator and performer in the new dance work, The Blokes Project. You're on Agenda on FBI Radio. Listening to Agenda on FBI Radio, we're joined now by Matt Cornell, who is a co-creator and performer <laughs> in the new dance work, The Blokes Project. Hi, Matt. Matt, Hello. you just got off a plane. Um, I was working for Angela Go in New York. She had a solo that she made, Desert Body Creep, and she performed there, and I was the sound operator. And so, yes, I just got 
in a taxi from the international airport and practiced this entire interview <laughs> for my cab driver, and now I'm here. I'm so impressed that you made it I'm after a yeah, you must be massive flight. That was How like it covered in the New York Times and stuff as well, wasn't it? Yeah, I, yeah. I it's it's a rare pleasure to work for somebody who has a vision that you completely trust, mm-hmm. because then you can just f- like be part of the team. Mm. Yeah, amazing. So the Blokes Project yes. includes a new dance work, which is performed on a shipping container. Yes. Um, investigating the embodied myths, truths, and stereotypes of how to be an Australian. Well, I have questions. <laughs> <laughs> we have questions. We have questions. We've got the questions. <laughs> um, I think it's not uncommon for us all to subscribe to and adhere to something that we actually couldn't explain if somebody asked us to. And I think being a bloke is one of those things, or being Australian is one of those things. Um, is that something that you've always kind of grappled, tried to grapple with? Well, don't don't something? we all just become teenagers and think that we know everything, and then reject everything we've been brought up on, and then eventually realise that there's no escaping it, and we need to rechristen our deepest, darkest secrets as our ultimate strengths? Absolutely, it's really exhausting. <laughs> that no, no, totally the full rejection. Okay, the full like rejection. A, yeah. yeah, I go I through was, the yeah. yeah. You definitely have with your hair at the moment, <laughs> but also at like work last year, I was like. Saying to a woman, I was like, well, you know, what is it even real? And like, what is, like, what's the point of everything? She's like, yeah. didn't you go through this when you were like 14 yeah. like everyone else? I'm like, no, it happens every year. <laughs> there's, there's a silver lining to that in that um, working independently or on project basis, not dissimilar from, say, a, a plumber or a truck driver that's working independently. You are employed and then suddenly you're not employed. You are useful to society mm. and suddenly you're not useful. You have something to offer all the time and you're working all the time but it's only sporadically that those things are um, recognized or there is the the world is receptive to those things do you think that like australian masculinity specifically is really like that sense of value is tied to the economy and kind of being a productive i wonder about what do i hold on to as my eye if i've let go of establishment, um, patriarchy, religion, riches, the family unit, tribalism. What have I what what else am I standing for? I think it is very Australian to stand for something and stand alongside people that you care about for something. And then when you don't have something, when you don't have a an invisible invading force that you've been whipped into a frenzy through propaganda, then how can you know who you are ultimately like how can you know how far you can go and what your worth is as a person in in standing alongside those that you hold value i mean it's un it's it's really also a shame that we only know our true selves um against others for others and then you're like well if you just change those others around would you still be doing the same enactment it's getting very meta (laughs) um what i mean is in breakdancing you are only ever as good as your um opponent or the person you're jamming with has asked you to be Mm. and so you are constantly indebted to that person for pushing you further because you become a better and your dance cannot happen without them and so even though they're playing the role of the enemy the adversary you know yourself 
through that relationship. And so I think being able to see the relationships that we have and how they function and how they dysfunction, I think that's a pretty massive um, intelligence curve that we could climb. That was, uh, so you're working with a collaborator. Joshua Josh- Thompson. Yeah. And I think you both described the personal relationships that you have with your fathers yeah. um, who both have what you would call like traditionally kind of blokey physical labor jobs yeah, yeah. Um, as being like the genesis of this project. Can you speak a little bit more about that? Uh, there's, yes, I can <laughs> say that it's um, very blue singlet somehow that, and, and I remember moving to Melbourne to study dance from Darwin and having two things, having to buy my first coat at say age 17, but then also being hearing a, singlet being referred to as a wife beater and I'd never heard that before and was not aware of the connotation I understood that there was domestic violence and that a lot of people will go out and get drunk and if they can't find someone to have sex with they'll find someone to fight and that that's um a good evening's entertainment Mm. unfortunately but the that was the first time I'd had like this weirdest thing to say my culture attacked Mm. Where I was like, oh, that's actually just what my dad wears. And he doesn't hit my mum. Mm. But is he not good enough because he doesn't wear a collar? And then, oh, shit, I better n- not wear a blue singlet either. And so you reject it all for a long time. I think the thing mainly is that with every generation, you get you inherit what worked for the previous generation. And not for everybody, just for them and then you realize that so much of it is not relevant anymore or it has flaws and it has faults but at the same time it it is it's not ultimately helpful to disown your own history it's quick but it really is more poisonous than it is helpful uh and so as much as you try and think your way out of all the things that you've been brought up on, you still move in the way. Like I realized during training at the Victorian College of the Arts, the dance program there, that I walked slightly harder on one foot and had like enacted a limp that my dad had because that's who I'd grown up around. And there's then Joshua and I have an entire section, um, which is a tango of the leaning that blokes will do to mirror each other. Nobody ever stands on their own two feet. You're always leaning on a wall or a doorway or a car bonnet mm, or yeah. like on your own legs or whatever. And so that's where the research became much less um, reductive and recursive and instead uh, illuminating where we're like, okay, we're not trying to nail this down with language. It's not an argumentative endeavour. What we're trying to do is put our bodies back in the place where they would have been where we grew up around and where if dance hadn't diverted us where we still would be and then listen to our bodies and hear what they're saying there's a a thought there's an idea that an an emotional state is a way of the body informing the brain of what biological processes are currently happening and that's all it is it's just a signaling mechanism and so we did many apprenticeships with a bunch of old blokes across the extreme north in an effort to put our bodies back in that space. And then you go into the dance studio and all the dance studio is, is an empty box. It's actually an empty room that's quite uncomfortable socially and physically, but the emptiness turns up the volume 
on your aches or pains or um, mannerisms. And so you spend enough time becoming accepted and reinducted, and then you watch yourself or you watch each other and you're like, ah, got you on that one because <laughs> all of a sudden you're not resting your palm on your leg anymore. You're resting the back of your knuckles on your leg because you pick that up. And the reason that that is like that is because when you're working in dirty environments, your palms get covered in grease or dirt or oil. And why would you want to put that shit on your clothes? <laughs> but now they're like, there are like site managers or office workers or delivery dudes who are not working in dirty environments, but still enact those mannerisms because that is the blokey way to hold your body. Mm. I'm interested in so many things <laughs> <laughs> that you've said. Um, firstly, I want to go back to the uh, to the apprenticeships and yes. know what those relationships were like and how you kind of approached that in a way that was, um, I guess... Uh, genuine or it's like I had I'm struggling to phrase it but um whether that whether the people that you approached and had those apprenticeships with were um I guess apprehensive to work with you or whether it was a a mutual understanding or um the way that you kind of framed how how you're doing that research and the second part of that is is the investigation into that kind of physical language something that you're aiming to like find answers on (laughs) or is it more of just an investigation into blokey Australian kind of culture? Well, you just helped me realize a real bad pun is that we're not finding answers, (laughs) but we are finding dancers. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know because the question is more about what is excellent for us and our mates and our families and our communities that we can hold on to from previous generations and what is toxic and what is destroying ourselves and our mates and our families and our communities. And that is as much a physical health issue as a mental health issue. Massive rates of alcoholism and violence and self-harm through accepted workaholism practices and domestic violence and male suicide across all the north and outback of Australia. And that has to be systemic. And if I had to speculate, which you're not asking me to do, so obviously (laughs) I'm asking myself to speculate, (laughs) is that if you practice long enough othering everything around you so that you can conquer it, then that seeps into your relationship with yourself. Uh, And there has to be a way that you can be with something rather than owning something. Like Mm. More in the way that you can ascertain a skill rather than a possession. You're not beating... uh, the ability to do something into submission the way that you beat land into submission by agriculture or whatever. You're actually just trying to find yourself within it. I've gone off track a bit. <laughs> but you were the apprenticeships what, as well, oh, I yeah. found. Was, yeah, can you talk a little what bit more about say, that? <laughs> well, that you were looking at what is toxic and worth, you know, leaving behind and what's worth retaining. Yes. Is that something tangible that you, you saw, something that you think should be held on to? Dancing is worth retaining. Dancing. it's only like a generation or two of men who don't dance who don't dance Mm. before that you had to dance to find a partner my grandpa is like the 
blokiest guy and he loves dancing and he would like take his shoes like wouldn't wear his shoes to the dance of place. course like, he put them on, put them on. and i was like that is so sweet and he put curls in his hair the night before i'm like oh my god <laughs> you were like the toughest person i've ever yeah. met and it's just this beautiful kind of and that's just part of the repertoire of skills mm. that mm. we're expected to have and i think there's there's like an ultimate um atomization that is being pushed through capitalism of saying each person is an individual and should make whatever choice they want at whatever time and then exercise that choice through their economic power. And, of course, like cis straight white men are at the top of that economic power but at the bottom of that emotional intelligence to make choice. And I don't think that that's accidental. I think that that's probably very useful when you're trying to colonise an entire nation and convince everybody that there was nobody here and then when they encounter somebody they have to reconvince themselves because they're so far away from um, governments but I do think that the criteria of manhood has shifted and that I don't want to disown any individual for being a product of their times mm. I, but, I, but I do think that there's a responsibility Absolutely. And I'm trying to take that responsibility and not make comment on anybody else because ultimately I think shame turns people in on themselves mm. and shuts off. And if there's any potential in um, the human being is that our brains can rewire themselves for a new context and environment and we can invent that new context and environment, but there's no way that we're going to do it if we're locked down in a mode of defensiveness because we're losing our self-identity. And that's exactly what direct attack and logical arguments get you and hopefully what dance and music circumvents is that defense mechanism and you can see somebody reflecting on themselves and you can see some of yourself in that and hopefully there's enough humor in that i mean the, the whole show goes on the arc of um i notice that maybe someone needs to reach out like the other character needs to reach out and then they do, but then I actually don't know how to take it because there's like a skill. It's like if I was illiterate. I'm illiterate in being able to listen to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we see that unfold, but physically. I mean, there's there's a large team behind this as well. Like Claire Robertson, who's Melbourne-based, she's our projectionist and she came on board at our Frankston residency. And a lot of footage, we were going to film the blokes that we did research with, but that was a total no-go because um, there's a there's an expectation or something but then audio seemed to be fine but there's some beautiful there's something about like how do you know what and who you are and how you how you can be useful in the world and how that how can that shift over time as well Mm. Matt, I think you need to get off a long haul flight before every interview. <laughs> and, and I like that every segment been... of this show has been coming back around to like dancing is very good for it's you. It's true. And We've spoken yeah. a lot about dance. Yeah. It's this, just the, it just lets the body be, mm. have agency. Uh, someone who has recommended a great track to dance to <laughs> is Miss Blanks, who uh, contributed to our Feel Your, Feeling, Feel Your Feelings playlist. Um, we're th we're out of we're out of time. Okay, can I just thank our composer? <laughs> yeah, Tristan of course. Parr, Please who's go Perth for it. Based, yeah, and we recorded a lot of sound on the road and just keep sending it through to him. And he he does all of his composition on cello. And we're trying to see if he can perform this live. And the reason it's on a shipping container is because that's actually 
the backyard of my house that I grew up in. It's like this beautiful poetry of this completely universal industrialized um, trade agreement, like representative object and of like cosmopolitanism and connection between nations. And then at the same time, it's in the back of like every yard of someone who's got a gun and says, don't come near my daughter. Like it's really weirdly, iconically, completely worldly and then completely disconnected from the world. And those happen, those things happen simultaneously. And that's, I think also where we find ourselves in Australia is that we have this crazy identity crisis mm -hmm. of how to be cosmopolitan and how to re retain national identity while we invent it. Can people see the blogs project <laughs> <laughs> somewhere? Just, just go blogsproject.com. Okay. And there's a trailer and there's um, some talks that I've given, but um, we will do a season at um, South Bank in Brisbane, the new venue called Flow State. And that's from the 18th of Amazing. February. And it's free because Incredible. I don't think there should be more barriers to entry. <laughs> Amazing. Matt, thanks so much for coming in to talk to us on Agenda this Thank morning. Thank you so much. After your <laughs> yeah, very big <laughs> journey to get here. Um, We're going to leave you with um, a suggestion by Miss or her choice. Um, for our I, Feel Your Feelings playlist. Yeah. And also with her advice, closed mouths don't get fed. Good. Yeah, it's a yeah. great tip. Um, this is the one that Miss Blanks uh, recommended. It's called Bitch Better Have My Money by oh, Rihanna. Language <laughs> warning. <laughs> um, also, language warning on this one. I remembered this this time. Like the whole show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yo. Yeah, yo. la. Yeah, yo. Bitch better have my money. Y'all should know me well enough. Better have my money Play down, call me on my blood Pay me what you owe me Ballin' bigger than LeBron Bitch, give me your money Who y'all think y'all frontin' on? Like blah, blah, blah Louis 13 and it's all on me Nigga, you just bought a shot Kamikaze, if you think that you gon' knock me off the top Shit, your wife in the backseat of my Like blah, blah, blah Pay me what you want it Don't act like you forgot Bitch better have my money Bitch better have my money Pay me what you want it
bitch, nigga, and my wife.